What are, what are, we, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Doing something. Okay, so with these fidget spinners, um, 2017, I think, is kind of when they hit peak. So I was doing a little bit of research trying to figure out, like, what's, what's the story behind the fidget spinner? Where did it come from? I, I, found, like, I found, like, a couple different articles, interesting things, and a lot of it ended up kind of contradicting one another, and so I was like, eh, whatever, we don't need to talk about the history of it. If you want to go Google fidget spinners and where they came about. But now there's like, I was looking on Amazon because I was just going to buy, I mean, I bought these on Amazon, but you know, Amazon just has like all these fidget toys, right? And again, these little toys that you play with that, you know, relieve anxiety, stress, um, if you're fidgeting, right? Like if you're Again, instead of like maybe doing like stuff like this or with your hands or kind of playing with your face, right? You just sit here and you just go. Fidget spinners, right? So, okay, everybody got one? And we got a couple kids in here too, so it's just like, yeah, if the kids get bored, they got a little toy to put. And you can put it in the pretend it's like their Easter toy. What's that? Do you remember when the year people were like selling them on eBay for like, yeah, I, I think I spent $10 for that whole box of, like, whatever. So, I couple last couple of weeks, month or so, I've been listening to the sermon series, and I'm just going to kind of put this out here by a guy named Tim Keller. You guys know I, I kind of quote him often. Um, maybe the sermon's no good this morning, and uh, if you get anything out of the sermon series, or the sermon this morning, this um, podcast series that he did, I've listened to it twice. I want to listen to it again. It's called Question Christianity. It was from back in 2019. And he does, basically he gives these live talks, presentations, faith and proof, uh, meaning, purpose, justice, morality. He gives these seven different, these seven different talks. And then he has like a little Q&A session afterwards in which he kind of takes live questions. Um, anyway, so he, this is, if you're looking for something to listen to. Um, if you want to kind of get in, engaged in that, it's, it's, a, it's just an incredible podcast series. I, I love to listen to it. I've listened to it twice. Like I said, I'll probably listen to it again. Um, Tim Keller is just, just, a, just a brilliant mind, gift to the church. Anyway, long setup. He, um, the last one's on hope, the last uh, sermon that, or the kind of talk that he gives on hope. Somebody already fidgeted there. Uh, yeah. Who is? <laughs> so he gives this one and he. He quotes a guy named Andrew Delbanco. Andrew Delbanco is a professor of American studies at Columbia University. Um, and one of the bo books that he writes is called The Real American Dream, uh, A Meditation on Hope. So Keller, in podcast or episode number, it would be number seven on hope, he quotes this guy, Andrew Delbanco. And I remember hearing this, like I said, maybe a month, six weeks or so ago. And here's the quote. Here's why you have your fidget spinners. He says this. He says, the heart of any culture is hope. And there's a very nice picture of Andrew Del Banco, by the way, too. So he's looking very scholarly. He says, hope is the way we overcome our lurking suspicion that all of our getting and spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. Every culture has to imagine some end to life that transcends our tiny allotment of days and hour, hours if we are to keep at bay the dim, back-of-the-mind suspicion that all human beings have. We are adrift in an absurd world. Okay? Now, just read that one more time to yourself. Think about that, what he's saying. 
Del Banco is kind of, in essence, making a really, really sharp insight onto culture, onto life, right? And what he's saying, he's basically saying that without a sense of hope, life is in essence this, right? This is, this is the extent of your life, right? It's just how things go. What's that? Yeah, it's open. Need a fidget spinner while you're out here? <laughs> you know, this, this is what life is, right? And that kind of last bit at the, at the end, right? That fear of hopelessness, right? That fear of hopelessness um, that at the end of our lives, we will have accomplished nothing, okay? What we will talk about this morning, Resurrection Sunday, is not only the proclamation, but the celebration of the hope that we have specifically in Jesus, in Jesus' triumph of life over death, right? In that his that in Jesus life becomes a little bit more meaningful than us just doing this. Right? It's a fascinating little quote, right? That all of our getting and spending, and I, I kind of feel like that's a little bit of dig on the consumerism that we live in too, is just this fidgeting, right? What I want to do is I want to do one thing first is I want us just to read the resurrection narrative this morning. I, it, I'm not going to use the resurrection narrative, but I feel like it's important just for us to take a moment and read it out of Mark 16. And then I just want to make some comments um, on our hope and how that hope functions. So if you got a Bible or if you have a phone, if you want to go for a phone, um, let's read this in the round. So I'll start it off. Uh, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. See, it's biblical, Jolyn. Just after sunrise. <laughs> well. <laughs> we will have to. I'll have to go do some. I'll have to go do some digging in the Greek and Aramaic to see how long that after. If that is a three-minute after or a three-hour after, <laughs> um, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, "Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb?"
rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of the womb, out of whom, sorry, he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Excellent. Like I said, I, I don't really have the sermon based out of this, but even as I'm reading it again this morning, I, I always think like it's such an odd ending to, to, this, you know, to this grand story, and, and there's all sorts of probably things to say about that. But again, what I want to do, even though we just had a, a chance just to read that, that passage in Mark of the resurrection of Jesus coming back to, to life, again, I just want to kind of spend a little bit of time um, just outlining, I would say, some characteristics, right? We're, we're using that quote from Del Banco, right, about hope, right? Every culture, we, we have to have some sort of hope that we hold on to. And so what is it specific about the Christian hope that we are going to hold on to? And since we all have these and we're all just spinning them and playing with them, I thought we would use this then as our kind of little, um, our prop, our little uh, mnemonic device, our little memory device to kind of think about hope. So we'll talk about what hope kind of spins on in the middle, and then each one has like these three little, and we'll just do three other little things. I always thought that these guys on the outside should spin, but I guess that's not the case. No? Anybody else? Engineer? They should? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. Maybe that's because these are the cheap ones that, you know. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is this, and I'm going to say, um, I want, you know, we'll talk here first at the center, the little spinny part, right? The little spinny part. My little spinny part is I think about our hope is this idea of new heavens and new earth, okay? Everything I would say in, in the Bible is kind of spinning. It's all centered on this idea of new heavens and new earth, okay? Um, sometimes we, we understand hope or sometimes hope is told to us as um, going to heaven, a salvation away from this world, right? Um, you might even go to hear an Easter sermon that says, hey, Jesus is alive. If you trust in him, then you get to go to heaven when you die, kind of away from this world. Um, but the idea here and what Paul talks about in Thessalonians and what we're going to look at in Revelation in a second is that the heavens and the earth, God's beautiful, his good, his creative, his stunning creation are redeemed, restored, they're renewed, right? We have new heavens and new earth, the whole cosmos, okay? This isn't just about you and, you know, kind of flying away one day up into the, into the clouds. The whole cosmos is renewed, everything that's around us, this planet, the solar system, stars, suns, everything is renewed. Everything was broken by the fall, right? Everything gets renewed in Christ. The whole Bible, everything is spinning on this idea of new heavens and new earth, okay? Um, Paul says it like this in Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 
He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we're telling you, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will, now here's here's an image, think about this, right? Will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says this, this, this really interesting image here at the end. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them, with the dead, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says, therefore encourage one another with these words. Now, again, as we think about this, you see Jesus probably, and you're, you're picturing this in your mind and you see Jesus coming down out of the clouds. You see the dead coming up out of the graves, whatever that looks like. You see the people who are in Christ alive going up to the clouds. And you see this kind of meeting place where we would think in the heavens, right? You see this kind of meeting place happening in the heavens. And the idea is that then, yes, then we kind of go back with God up into the heavens. The image and the language that Paul would be using here, that would be very familiar to somebody in the first century, would be that of welcoming a dignitary, a king, an emperor, um, uh, a a magistrate, somebody who's a local governor. And if somebody really important was coming to your village, to your town, to your city, you would run out of the village to go welcome that person to then or to greet that person to then welcome them back into your town Um, if that image is a little too far for you I'll I'll use a little bit of an easier one when my mom comes to visit is anybody no nobody's here when my mom comes to visit okay my mom lives in Pennsylvania and she comes out to visit my girls will rush out of the house to go meet my mom, wherever that might be, on the driveway, if she parked in the street, maybe on the street, on the sidewalk, on the grass. They'll run out of the house, Grandma, Nana, and Grandma, where are you? And they'll run. But the idea wouldn't be that they would just run out to meet her and then stay with her on the driveway or on the grass or on the sidewalk. The idea would be that they would embrace her to welcome her into our house with her gifts and her love and her generosity and her just liveliness. A lot of you folks know my mom and just all that she brings into our house. This is the image that Paul is utilizing here, right? That the people are going up into the heavens, up into the clouds, and they are greeting and they are welcoming God because Jesus is coming back to renew and restore and bring his goodness and his love, and his healing, and his, and his power here to this world, right? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Another passage here, as John is thinking about his, um, his great vision, right? Again, everything's spinning on this concept of new heavens and new earth, right? As John is thinking of his vision in Revelation 21, he sees a new heaven and a new earth, right? Everything is spinning on this. For the first heaven and the first earth, passed away and there was no longer any sea and he sees this holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe. I and mean, just think about this great promise, right? Wiping every tear from their eye. No more death, mourning, crying, pain. The old order of things has passed away, right? Everything in the Bible, I would say, everything on our hope spins on this idea of new heavens and new earth. This is what we are anticipating. This is what we are waiting for. This is what our, you know, again, Del Banco, everything else is just fidgeting, right? Everything else is just fidgeting. But we say, no, no, no. What we are hoping for, what we are waiting for, is this new heavens and this new earth, okay? Not simply escaping out of this world to heaven somewhere else. Okay, so that's the middle. Now we have three little, again, I wish they were little other spinny things, but we have three other things I want to talk about. First fruits. First fruits. And I want to take you back. Look at this great picture. That is Julia. That is Jeanette. Um, and uh, at this, this time, I think Rob, nah, Robin wouldn't have been pregnant by this time. Um, this was, we had this, when we lived at our condo, you guys, Glistens, you remember that, right? And we had that little side garden. Um, and this was our water, this was like this first watermelon that we grew, okay? This, this word, first fruits, right, which is what I want to talk about here, kind of, it's pretty much what it means. It's the first of the fruits or whatever leading up to the harvest. Now, who grows tomatoes at their house somewhere, right? And when you grow, for me, that's our, that's our current tomato plant. It's not a great picture, but that's our current tomato plant, and it's just starting to grow, right? It's just kind of starting to come into its own. But you know when you have your tomato plants, and you get like the first maybe little cherry tomato or your first tomato that you've kind of grown, and you take it in and you taste it, right? And it's just like, oh, man, it's, it's the best, right? It like kind of ruins your appetite for tomatoes the rest of the year because the ones you get at the store are they're like plasticky and hard. The ones that you get from, your gar- from a garden that you just grow, I don't, I'm not like a big tomato guy. I am a big fresh from my garden tomato guy. But you get this, I'm thinking cherry tomato, right? You get this first little cherry tomato. You get this first little, right? And you kind of just, you kind of taste it. You're so happy. It's organic. It's, I mean, there's nothing better. But it really, what is it? It's just a teaser of what's to come, right? It's just a sample of what's to come, right? Until that, that one day when everybody in the neighborhood has so many tomatoes, they don't even know what to do with them anymore. And they're like, oh, what are we going to do now with tomatoes? I, I, okay, I get right? First fruits in the Bible, right? First fruits in the Bible. Paul talks about this in Corinthians 15. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of who have fallen asleep, right? Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When you see Christ in the resurrection coming back to life, that is the equivalent of when you go out into your garden and you see that first little cherry tomato, that first little tomato, and you take it and you eat it and you just think to yourself, I cannot wait, right? This is so delicious. This is so amazing. 
Like, and you just have all that anticipation and joy of knowing what's to come. That's what Christ, that's what his resurrection is. It's that first fruit. One year we did a sermon. Um, it's like a sam- It's like when you go to Rite Aid and you get a little sample spoon of like an ice cream. You know what I mean? You're just like, oh, I'll have that. But the, the resurrection, the great resurrection that we all wait for is like the five gallon tub of ice cream where you're just, you just eat until you cannot eat it. That's what this is. The first Christ's resurrection is the first fruit. Um, this quote that I found from Frederick Buechner, I want to read. And, oh man, it's just so, it's just so good. And it doesn't, yeah. Frederick Buechner says it like this. He's talking about hope and he says, the hope that Jesus really is uh, what for centuries we have been claiming he is. The hope that despite the fact that sin and death still rule the world, he somehow conquered them. The hope that in him and through him, all of us stand a chance of somehow conquering them too. The hope that at some unforeseeable time and in some unimaginable way, he will return with healings in, with healing in his wings, right? What we see in Christ, what we get in Christ, is that first fruit, that triumph over sin and death when he makes that triumph, over sickness and division, the triumph of love over pain and loss, right? And when we study the life of Jesus, when we just look at him, we are seeing, we're just getting a little bit of that first fruit, right? We are seeing the first fruit of that healing that is to come. Um, two more. We've got the first fruits. I want to talk about the resurrected body for a second, right? This one, I, I like this one. This one gets me kind of particularly excited because oftentimes what gets preached or taught, you know, or kind of what's been the modern narrative would, again, is kind of disembodied escape to heaven, Right, and we've tried to I've tried to reteach this or or re kind of um, have us think about this in different ways. Right, um, Philippians three says it like this: He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. Right? He's going to take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. Again, the first root. Look at Jesus as the prototype. Jesus dies, right? He's in the grave. He's resurrected, but he comes back as what? He's physical, yet he's beyond physical. He's got something different to him. N.T. Wright um, he summarizes it like this, and N.T. Wright has written just, uh, yeah, just amazingly on the resurrection. He says, what Paul is asking us to imagine, right, is that there will be a new mode of physicality which stands in relation to our present body as our present body does to a ghost. It will be much more real, much more firmed up, much more bodily than our present body as a present body is more substantial, more touchable than a disembodied spirit. Here's where I think he really brings it home. He says, you know, we sometimes speak of someone who's been very ill or who's very ill as being a shadow of his or her former self. We've all seen this, right? He says, if Paul's right, a Christian in the present life, think about this right now, a Christian in the present life, you are but a shadow of your future self. The self that the person will be when the body that God has been 
waiting in his, heaven, in his heavenly storeroom is brought out, already made to measure and put on over the present one, the self that will exist after bodily death, right? Um, another aspect, another key factor of our hope is that um, we have this resurrected body, right? We don't, re- we don't you know, die and then float off into the clouds. We have this new resurrected body. Um, another way to think about this might be, uh, think about your body as like a paperback book, okay? An old paperback book. And a, a paperback book that's been discolored, um, it's been beat up, it's, you know, left on the shelf of goodwill for too long. It's, you know, ready to fall apart. And if you were to take that old paperback book and you threw it into the ground, right, and threw some dirt over top of it, and you came back years later, and here comes up out of the ground would be like, like, an, like an iPad, right? <laughs> like here it comes up. And you would see on this iPad that, man, that book is somehow, all that information is on this iPad. Yet the relationship of a, like an old paperback to an, an iPad would be nothing of the same, yet it would be the same, right? This is, you know, again, what Paul is asking us to imagine, the shadow of ourselves right here is but a paperback book to an iPad, right? Another analogy would be like a little dust broom. You throw that dust broom in the ground, come back years later, and coming up out of the ground is a Dyson vacuum cleaner. You know what I mean? And again, same, yeah, yeah, I used to use that to kind of sweep dirt up. And that's what Paul is asking us to imagine with our resurrected bodies, right? Not that you throw the iPad or the book or, you know, and then just somehow the spirit of the book lives on. No, 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 no. There is something that is coming with our resurrected bodies. More real, more substantial, right? This, what we have here, is but a shadow of our future selves. Um, All right, we got one more in you? Got to wrap it up for those kids back there. Okay, last one I want to talk about, and then we're going to take, we'll take Eucharist too. Um, This is interesting. So, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we... 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's like his chapter on the resurrection. It's a beautiful chapter. Paul talks all about the resurrection, the resurrection. He gives all sorts of analogies, pictures, images, clarifications. He's speaking to this church in Corinth. At the end of like his magnus um, opum, did I say that right? Magnus, magnum opus, magnum. It's beautiful. (laughs) At the end of his magnum opus, right? He, he ends this chapter with this, with this verse. Again, kind of an interesting way to end. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Right? Now, a lot of times what happens too is what gets preached is, again, hey, the earth is going to burn. Don't worry, we're going to escape. We're going to get out of here. Our souls, don't worry about it. And that kind of mentality kind of, or that kind of theology creates some really destructive patterns within the church, can create some really destructive patterns, right? But Paul seems to think that at the end of this great talk about the resurrection, 
He says, here's what I want you to do, is to give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Maybe we could summarize this like this. The closing words, right, are not about eternal bliss, clouds, escaping to heaven, but work, deeds, action, sweat, and earth. His vision of resurrection ends with what is essential, the work that is always at hand. Um, you know, a lot of times what, what can happen on Sunday mornings, especially on this day, is the big extravagance, right? The bells and the whistles, special music, the drama, the video, pomp and circumstance. I get this question a lot, and I get, um, get kind of insecure about it, right? Like, um, what, do you, what are you guys doing special for Easter? Are you guys doing anything? Are you guys going to have two services? Or are you going to do like, do? And I'm like, well, we're like, there's like 20 of us, and so we're going to probably sit around. And I'll do a sermon, and Brian's going to play some music. We don't have anything special. Does my wife put some flowers out? Does that count? You know, I get, I get you know, insecure and inadequate. And I always think about this, you know, because Paul has this grand vision of Jesus' resurrection, right? And what does he end with? He says, you know, I, I think that there's some work to be done. I sometimes think that, I'm going to do this one year, I'll just surprise you, but it won't be a, it won't be a sunrise um, service. It will be a sunrise, not even, won't be sunrise. It'll just be service, right? Think about um, skipping the Easter service, right? Everybody gets dressed up nice, everybody's, think about skipping all that nonsense. Hey, would you just go spend an hour at Brookdale? And just go serve those people. You know there's an Alzheimer's place right here. Would you just go spend some time there and go love those people? We don't, you know, this is nice. We can maybe gather together, give each other a high five. There is work to be done in the name of Jesus, right? Paul's great chapter on the resurrection. The work is always at hand, right? Would you go serve someone in some way? There is always work to be done at hand. Um, so I want you to take these. This is your, again, your little mnemonic device, or maybe your kids will snatch them, but you'll think about this because everything spins on the new heavens and the new earth, right? This is our hope. This is the center of our hope. We see in Jesus, what is the first fruit, right? We see in Jesus, what is the first fruit? What we see in Jesus is but a glimpse of things to come. We understand that what happens to our bodies is something that is beyond, beyond, beyond what we can even imagine. It's like a seed going into the ground, Paul says, right? You can never tell from a seed going into the ground what kind of plant will come up, but our resurrected bodies are firmly part of our hope. And there is always work to be done. Our hope is not some disembodied, away from here hope that we can't. There is work to be done here and now. So we'll end with this. Um, we'll end with Jesus's simple invitation for bread and wine. Um, and one more quote from my friend N.T. Wright. Not really my friend, but in my mind, he's my friend. He says, to make any headway in understanding the Eucharist, we, gotta, we have to see it as the arrival of God's future in the present, not just an extension of the past, Jesus's meal into the present. Think about that, got that, right? The Eucharist is God's future coming to the present, 
Sometimes we think about the Eucharist, oh yeah, we're just celebrating what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on that Thursday night. We're also celebrating the future coming into the present. We do not simply remember a long since dead Jesus. We celebrate the presence of the living Lord, the Jesus who gives himself to us as food and drink is himself the beginning of God's new world, God's new heaven, God's new earth bursting forth here and now as it will forever into the future. It's the hope that we hold, right? Everything else is just what? It's just fidgeting. All you're getting and spending everything else without any hope is just has the same significance as spinning this fidget spinner for the rest of your life, right? So we are holding on to the hope in Christ. Um, I'll close this in a word of prayer. And uh, Mr. Brian, if you want to do a couple songs, uh, and then at some point you'll come and take the Eucharist. And you'll understand that as you take the Eucharist, not only are you celebrating the past, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago as we kind of enter into this weekend, but we are also celebrating the future of what has been done in the future coming into our present, right? So let me say a word of prayer. Um, God, if I, I don't know, I don't I hate to do like the sermon summary and the prayer. I just want to say thank you for the hope that I have. That it's firm, that it's real, that it's substantial. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to kind of put our hope in in this world. Nothing better than putting my hope in you. Nothing better. And from my brothers and sisters, sometimes it's hard to hold on to that hope. Sometimes it's confusing. Um, Sometimes even us Christians, we do a bad job representing that hope. All that aside, help us turn our eyes to you for the hope that is found in the resurrected Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.